0: Here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned. Immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week it's going to be the turn of Darts. Yes, that British doo-wop band. From the mid-70s to the current day. Anyway, I spoke to the one of their main members. This was Dan Hegarty to find out more about life, love, poetry and all that other groovy stuff. Anyway, after some casual chat about stuff politics really and um, we got down to the interesting subject of the musical journey of one's life and um yes and wondered what then's kind of um yes very earliest memories were and also whether he'd been in a musical house and this was his reply then it's over to you
1: no no and my my dad who was a rather malevolent alcoholic uh he um he hated all this all the stuff that was around absolutely hated it you know because it wasn't victor sylvester
0: oh god victor he did he like ballroom dancing then
1: uh well my my dad was kind of um not really up for it he was he he was one of those guys who was joined the royal air force in 1936 which is what, at the age of 17, which is what you call timing.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, because he had a kind of electronics-based mind, you know, and a very keen interest in that kind of thing, he very quickly got um, zeroed in on the team who were doing radar. So when the war came, you know, very... Very quickly, uh, once the the Battle of Britain had ended um, and North Africa started, he was over there being sent through, you know, fastest route from A to B, even if it cut across enemy lines, uh, setting up radar installations. Right. Um, I think he got shot through the chest at one point, but he certainly ended up with tuberculosis. Um When the war ended, I think there was only one of one of the people he'd started it with left alive
0: uh
1: and two years later he was dead um and my father was a kind of rather bitter bitter man because of it all
0: well yes that's quite that's quite um, the formative years yeah so the formative
1: years were very much about me getting out of the house yes um which was and and I won't have a word said against my mother because my mother did everything she could to enable that, <laughs> 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 to to encourage me to go off and uh, you know just make a make a life for myself. Um, and alas, she's now gone as well. But uh, that's the that's what happens when you when you you hit the age of as I will do in a few days' time, sixty six.
0: Oh, wow, that's amazing. So did you...
1: Yes. at last.
0: Oh, bus pass. Unfortunately, the TV licence has gone, though, but never mind.
1: Well, I'm not... uh, I wasn't too worried about that. I I thought it was a rather weird um, thing that happened when... Because it was introduced by the Labour Labour government in the noughties. Yes. And as as a taxpayer-funded thing for people over 75 Um, and then uh, with the coalition government that that government uh, kind of went well we're not going to really pay for it but so but we'll we'll do a deal with the BBC where they pay for it Uh, and so when it was all stripped out because the BBC could no longer afford it uh, everyone blamed the BBC not the government for Stopping it being a tax break in the first place.
0: Yes, well, actually, yes. I, I've, I've always, I'm glad you said that because I've often thought, yes, that they, they were promised that. Don't worry, we'll take this. You know, we will. We'll subsidise the money that we've, you know, you, you've lost. Yeah, we'll and, look after you. Yes, there's the yeah. and, and of course. We'll look at the whites of our eyes. Well, you can trust us. Oh, actually, we'll just do a U-turn. <laughs> oh, by the way, your deficit is quite huge now, but never mind. We'll blame yeah, if anything yeah. goes wrong. We'll blame the baby. we'll blame someone. Could
1: we avoid <laughs> politics in this? Yes, God, let's do that. Sorry <laughs> about that. Yeah, I know. Because otherwise, we'll just end up discussing the you Know the revolution to
0: come, yeah. No, no, good, yes, good, thanks, thanks for that. No, it was just one of those. I'm glad that someone else has like kind of put that all together. Um, yeah, so then you, your mother said, Look, just sneak out, go, don't, don't, um, well, you know, to make a go of go of it from the house.
1: So, well, you know, one of the things I used to do was, um, uh, there was a certain night a week growing up in Brighton and Hove, um. There was a little folk club that opened up down there, and I used to go along and and watch things there. Meanwhile, at school, I'm starting to get drawn into things like school plays. And the folk club is where I met somebody who first encouraged me to get up and perform. Um, didn't really last. It was we were a little trio, not very good. Thank you very much. The end. (laughs) Um, But meanwhile, at school, I got friends with a whole bunch of guys who were two years older than me. Uh, And one of those guys had an older brother again who was part of a group uh, to kind of do it running a gig at uh, a seafront pump in Brighton which was then called the Arlington. And upstairs in there, there would be bands on and and, But they used to try and do as many bands as they could from within their own numbers. Uh, So they had a band that was going down very, very well that they'd put together, which was modelled on a band at the time called the Wild Angels. So that so they were playing rock and roll of the of the old-fashioned variety, and a whole bunch of us got together and said, "Well, we've been doing these these kind of musical review shows and things like that. Uh, why don't we uh, Why don't we put a band on just to last a few weeks?" And one of those number was a guy called Rob Pachadley, who became more famous later as Rocky Sharp. Mm. Uh, and we put together a band that eventually didn't last a couple of weeks. It lasted four years. And it became known um, very quickly as Rocky Sharp and the Razors. And in those days, there was no Rocky Sharp. There was just a bunch of us. And Rocky Sharp and the Razors, when it split up, uh, well, became you know, uh, half of us became darts, and then a while later, once we, we started having hit records, uh, the other half kind of became Rocky Sharp and the Replays,
0: right? So
1: all... Two bands for the price of one,
0: absolutely. And were you always had you always veered in that sort of the world that is folk music and the beatnik, you know, era?
1: Well, and... it was, um, it was. Yeah, you have to remember that uh, we're talking late 60s here, uh, beginning into the 70s. Um, So in 1967, the BBC uh, stopped, um, changed all their channels away from the light programme and the home service. Uh, And the light programme was what, what would be the equivalent of Radio 2 now. Uh, except Radio Two in those days would have been unrecognisable from what it is today. Yes, it was very mixed by because because yes. it, it it was uh, music as seen by the hierarchy of the BBC as appropriate for people. So pop music there was an hour a week, and then along came Radio One, and setting aside you know the the kind of standard peak hour shows, they had these little niche programs as well. And there was a, there was a disc jockey called Mike Raven, who, if you hunted, who's long dead now, but if you, if you hunt him down, you'll find that he was actually also a hammer horror actor. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But he had a thing called Mike Raven's R&B show. And they, they, that's where I first heard the same kind of things that inspired the Stones and the Beatles. Um, because I'd never heard this stuff before. Yes. Down in Brighton, nothing like this had come along. And a whole bunch of us really started getting into soul and R&B. And off the back of that, we discovered doo-wop. Because this was a music, vocal group harmonies with a rhythm and blues backing that, that had just passed this country by in the 1950s. Hmm. It just didn't, if it, if it, if anything like that was made, it was people like Bernard Breslaw, the actor doing the comedy, comedy actor doing a kind of, um, humorous version of.
0: Yes. Because obviously at that stage, because it's kind of interesting isn't it because the music at the time I mean this was some kind of music that was from a side at the
1: time was we were heading into prog rock by then
0: yes and and and, and and and
1: what we were doing was completely not in that field at all
0: yes i know so were you when you were doing this did you also look at what was going on with that because there was also people like John Peel who'd been on the you know pirate radio station with the cat's caravan or the perfume garden and playing all these kind of new songs and bands that were just kind of like very much of the moment and the now and you were sort of going back to a period that was kind of yeah from a different world yeah, we really.
1: were we were more of saying to people hey guys listen to this 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 stuff as well yes. which was not kind of what you did uh if you were you know working in the music business at that time those were the days when you had to write your own songs, and indeed, if you, I remember us. One of the reasons we didn't get a record deal uh, when we first started out, even though we were massively popular live, uh, was that A and R men just looked at the fact that most of the songs we recorded, um, uh, we played, were old songs written by somebody else.
0: Yes, from a whole nother world.
1: It, it just stopped them being interested because that's what um, that's what things were like back then, and those same A and R guys did not see punk coming <laughs> at all. Because when when yes. uh, Rocky Sharp and Razor split up in seventy six, and Dart was put together, by the time we were doing gigs, it's uh, you know in late seventy six. We were doing the same circuit as the Sex Pistols and the Clash, or or the One O Oneers before that. Mm. Um, so, so it was, and we used to have, um, you know, quite a lot of those same punk guys in our audience.
0: Yes, because I suppose Malcolm. McLaren, he was quite into that look, wasn't he? He'd well, sort of... well,
1: well, he was, but I'm talking about the, the young guys themselves. Because yes. It was all about uh, what is completely forgotten now, because these, these days, if darts is remembered at all, it's as something very similar to Shawaddy Waddy. Now, nothing could have been further from the truth back then, because shiwadi were around, but they were playing, you know, the kind of uh, nightclubs and uh, working men's clubs in the north, and we were playing pub gigs and CD club joints in, in London and the southeast. Yeah, yes. We were playing the pub rock circuit. As, was all, as were all the punk bands um, and and you would not have got any of us anywhere near you know the kind of uh, the um, I can't remember the name of the big nightclub in Birmingham that was right next to uh, or just down the road from ATV where I'm where I was part of the Tiswas team for its final year. But but that place, it was all, you know, you, you sit at a table and somebody brings you drinks. and No, no, that wasn't us at all. It was, uh, you, you walk through the audience, somebody headbutts you, thank you very much, good night. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, God, that's quite, and, and obviously you must have picked up quite a following on the kind of university circuit. Who?
1: Oh yes, we were massive in, in universities. Um, because in those days the university circuit was, was enormously influential. If you could get onto the university circuit, uh, you just uh, you could just keep working um, during term time.
0: Handy.: that was really...
1: Now, of course there is no university circuit.:
0: No, a shame.:
1: <laughs> Which is a shame, because, because it all affects what happens to bands how bands come up.
0: Yes, You know,
1: because it's very hard for young guys now to learn to play live and we'll forget COVID completely on that one because that's really put a spanner in the work. But, but in, our, in our day, you learnt your craft by going out and actually performing every night.
0: But I suppose it's what happened with the Beatles, and it's what happened with people. A lot of people yeah. on, on those kind of moments, like Jimi mean, Hendrix, it's and kind people have
1: forgotten. You know, people think, well, the, the Beatles gave up performing live just to focus on the studio work. Actually, they gave up performing live because they just reached a point where they were going, "What? Well, there's so much screaming going on. Nobody can hear the music we're playing." Yes, and that was important to them. And then I so said, so went, well, what's the point? And I have to confess, you know, if, if people hadn't been uh, listened to the stuff we were doing as well, uh, we might have reached the same point. Yeah. Fortunately, no one screamed at us except in anger or uh, or or kind of, I don't know, anxiety. <laughs>
0: But um, but then did you, when, when the band formed from, you know, the, the, the sort of the ashes of the, the previous kind of line, you know, uh, combo, did it, obviously you'd got the, you know, what you were going to do, so it wasn't like you were starting completely from scratch. No, or? no,
1: I mean, it was pretty well, very much the same kind of thing as we were doing in Rocky Sharp and the Razors. Yeah. Because that was something that n- nobody else in the country was doing. In fact, I
0: don't think anyone else in Europe was doing that. Yes. And it and it's kind of interesting at that time when you started because we'd had sort of the glam period that sort of, like most scenes, they start well and then it gets a bit like, hmm, time to move on. And then we'd had the prog rock, then we'd had sort of the West Coast American sound. The, kind of the birth of punk and then and you sort of appear as well so 76 and also politically without going into politics too much but you know the the number 10 you know there was like labor conservative labor conservative I mean it was kind of going back and forth you know three day weeks people endless strikes you know some slightly dodgy british cars on the market but um yeah so 76 you know though we look back at things with great rose tinted sunglasses there was a lot oh,
1: Absolutely of... let's not forget the racism yes christ um uh, now i raised that because um now we we definitely weren't the first band to have both black and white members um you know the the, most famously the equals which was was a fabulous name for what they were doing why can't i remember the name of the guy um Electric Avenue was one of his big hits. Oh,
0: Eddie Grant.
1: Eddie Grant. Eddie Grant was one of the equals. Yes. Um, you know black guys, white guys, uh just playing together. Come back, baby come back. Now you can if you if you know uh if you know Eddie Grant's voice, you can go you can recognise it suddenly coming through on that one. Um we weren't the first but but it it wasn't that common No, you know even in 76 and I remember we did a a, what the very first television show we ever did uh, was we were booked to do some kind of rock and roll appearance on a rock and roll compilation show that BBC 2 had put on and in their wisdom, they'd organized uh, an audience of Teddy Boys. Now, in 1976, what is uh, forgot, considerably forgotten today was in 1976, Teddy Boys were very much, you know, um, following on from their forebears, who were the instigators of the Notting Hill riots. It was the Teddy Boys who went up against the local black population and kicked all that off. And we walked out on stage with Rita Ray uh, with us, and bottles started flying at us. You know, though that's what uh, sometimes performing live meant.
0: Yes, my God! You must have had to develop quite stay, a lot of stagecraft to cope. You must. What well, you... we,
1: we um, what we what we actually did was, was develop a very uh, very strong armour of being all for one and one for all. You know, so so one of us was picked on; that all of us were picked on. Even to this day, when we when we get back together, which we do. Um we have a rule that says if if somebody wants us to do a gig uh and one of us can't do it, none of us do it.
0: Keeps it straightforward, doesn't it? You don't there's no grey area. <clears throat> it's kind of
1: No, because it's it's about uh for us it's about the comradeship and
0: uh yes. And what member, what member of the band was the one that you thought, just get behind him or her? <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> the, uh, what do you mean, to take shelter from the bottles?
0: <laughs> well, the person that you think, don't, you know, they can... I mean, you know, like, I don't know, I used to like football a bit. There was one or two, you know, I used to like Roy Keane, and it was like you would just hide behind Roy Keane, wouldn't you, if, if, if things started getting unpleasant.
1: I don't think any of us hid. <laughs> i mean that was the um that was we we had a kind of self-supporting network and it just it just didn't allow it and indeed um there were about three guys in the band who had been doing the same circuit as the stones in the 60s because they were about 10 years older than the rest of us one of them being john dummer who'd had a small hit in sometime in the sixties. Uh, and the bass player on that was Thump, really? who's still with us today. Um, and those guys just just remembered going out and playing backing uh, uh Howlin Wolf, John Lee Hooker, all those major blues artists of
0: the of the 1950s. Yes. Well, that's that's that gives you a lot of kudos. those guys
1: who never got paid. Those guys, their royalty.
0: Are, I know. It's a terrible. Funny moment.
1: how it went around. <laughs> same thing happened to the, thing happened to us.
0: <laughs> and, I know. So when when you formed, I mean, you you weren't looking at the band as like this is going to be a career and we're going to make money, or did it did it have or was it kind of like this is a really nice hobby passion, but we're going to have to sort of scrape money elsewhere because. Uh,
1: well, I, I, I don't think when you, when you start playing music as a teenager, um, uh, certainly back then, I don't think there was any sense that uh, success was guaranteed. And and so you never went, you know, this is what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a musician. Um, it just crept up on you and happened.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, yeah, because I think with a lot of the bands, you know, they have a five year narrative, you know, the first 12 months trying to get something you know especially if they're trying to write or record some sort of original material and then they're just praying that somebody and in you know in the 80s you had people well in the 70s people like John Peel that might give you a spin and that would just like mean that you felt like there was some progress you know and a a few more gigs coming your way but 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 I don't think anyone really has the plan that we'll do this then do this and then it will all be marvelous perhaps perhaps people like Sting who was very confident but I don't think many other people ever had that kind of feeling that it would be quite so straightforward. Um, uh, well,
1: we—I I, suppose—because of the um, the four-year ride into the desert of Rocky Sharp and the Razors, uh, followed by another year of darts, not getting a record deal, eighteen months or so before that happened, we had no illusions about. Uh, by that time, about our likely prospects. Yes. And I... so we played live, and as long as we were, you know, as long as we were going out playing and audiences loved us, that was all we needed.
0: Yeah. So you got the you you were having some sort of income and a transit value. Uh
1: Well, let's not go that far because. <laughs> <laughs> Hub gigs never paid that well, and there were nine of us on stage.
0: Oh yeah, God, the maths, the division. No, the, the
1: maths, math. uh, the maths, always meant Dart. Dart was never going to be uh, a big money-making venture.
0: <laughs> Not been nine people.
1: And and never and never was, but that was uh, in large part in the end because of um, a manager who was a crook. But it's same old, same old story as you hear every now and again, and down the ages.
0: Yes, always. It,
1: the music business is, is, can be a, a way to make fast money, big money, uh, so somebody will come in and take advantage of that fact.
0: Yes, not good. And we
1: were unlucky enough to uh, be at the receiving end of that.
0: Tricky. So when could you sign with Magnet Records? after your time. So your... that
1: was uh, in 70, 77 and we went in the studio and I think they they paid for us to record an entire album's worth uh, and I think uh, we did that for the princely sum of 10,000 quid.
0: That was a bargain.
1: <laughs> and they, off that, they released uh, the first single, which was "Daddy Cool," and that and from that point on, uh, there was no looking back.
0: Wow! I mean, the the rest of the seventies was just the hit machine, really, wasn't it?
1: Uh, yes, yes. I mean, it was uh, certainly. I think um, I left mid seventy eight, uh, and it, it, even by then, I'd I'd had uh, four four uh, top ten records. Yes. Four four top ten singles. And that's in less than a year.
0: Which was quite extraordinary. Because when you you left, this was to look after your father.
1: Uh, I didn't actually know my dad was dying because uh, we used to work, we used to gig absolutely all the time. The the first year we did it, uh, I don't think we got ever got any, any real time off. And the second year we, um, we, by that time we had management and we went to the management, uh, who was largely responsible for working us like dogs, um, and said, uh, can we have a couple of weeks off? And he graciously allowed us that forgetting who works for whom. <laughs> um, and then we were abruptly called back a week early. Because there was some telly show he he needed us to do, uh, so it was it was rather like that. And I, I, I wanted to be able to um, just get home and check up that my mum was doing okay while my father was uh, so ill, and of course he died just a couple of months later. But it, but that was we didn't even know that was on the cards. Uh, so so the band could have stayed as it was, but it didn't look like that was going to, I was gonna be allowed to do that. So so and so that's why I quit.
0: Yes. Which must have um Yeah. Which was
1: a bit of heartbreak for me because I was I was kind of the um the guy who put it all together in the first place and found all the music and well, yes. But then, hey, we're back together again now.
0: Because after as if that, no
1: time has passed,
0: as if no. Yes, but then you went into broadcasting and doing, time t's, television, all right now. And also, did you say uh, Tiswas was as well?
1: Uh, yes, that was that was all early eighties. You know, so this is all crammed into a, a, a you know very, very uh, tight time period. Once I finished with dart. Um, I was approached about uh fronting a brand new television program up in made by time Tees television up in the northeast um called all right now and i think uh i they 'd never made any program like this before, nothing like it. they were m- more used to doing things like farming programs mm. um Anyway, so so we did this music show. Um, I was let go at the end of it because the station boss thought I was too anarchic. But I set the tone for that kind of uh, edgy, I don't know what you call it, edgy presenting style. Yes. Um, And within two years... Those that same team was making a show called The Tube.
0: Of course, it all makes sense, doesn't it? Yep. Ty and Tees, Newcastle, yes, the good old, yeah, Friday evenings or afternoons.
1: So I have my bizarre little place in, uh, you know, that old scene...
0: So did you Going way back? Yeah. So then but then you became kind of a radio TV presenter for much of the 80s. Uh, then then. Well, but
1: the, the, I became a, a, another bizarre story. I became a, a, a radio one presenter for a few months, um, but not in the kind of standard program. I became a presenter of a program run out of the religious programs department which was a discussion show for young people in which uh, celebrities and people like that would just discuss topics of the day. And I was one of the two hosts of it. <laughs> nice. And again, I got, uh, I got sidelined from that, as did the other presenter, because once it was up and running, um, they thought, well, this is the kind of thing uh, we can get our dis- standard disc jockeys to do
0: yes so, so
1: so so I went sideways from there again uh, then i then I got approached about being in TISWAS um because the main presenters chris Tarrant and lenny and and all those guys had, had decided that they wanted to do an evening version of the program because with well, the became o t t if you can remember that i can remember o t t and, and so they needed some new new faces in, and it turned out it was its last year because uh, when when Tiswas was on for from, from almost all its time, it was a maverick program. It didn't belong to any kind of department within television. Lots of people think of it as a kids show, but it didn't belong. It wasn't as part of that station's children's television programming. Right until the year I did it.
0: Oh, interesting!
1: And then once it once it'd been labelled that, then they started playing around with alternative ideas. And and tis was effect, was effectively doomed, and became you know some other. Um, concept was tried in its place and then that had to become some other concept and so on and so forth
0: yes.
1: and so we see the, the changes rigging until ch- Channel 4 came along uh, in the mid 80s and, and and people realised that there was some kind of sense that there being a structure to, to a weekend morning
0: yes Interesting. And and just before that, I did see that you had guested on the Clash album, Sandinista.
1: Oh, well, um, Joe and Paul, the bass player, uh, were neighbours of mine in North Kensington. Um, So so I knew all the guys uh, because, as I said, you know, we played the same circuit. We used to see each other at the same gigs. Um, so, so yes, they just rang me up one day and said, uh, do, do you fancy coming in and doing some recording with us? Excellent. And I, w- I, w- you know, the, the the main aim was to do some backing vocals on a song Joe had written, but I just went into the studio with them and I did a whole load of random stuff <laughs> <laughs> that is now, that now is laced. Through the entire album, as far as I can tell,:
0: <laughs> That's fantastic.: Yes, and, do, um, and your memory from that, was that a good experience?
1: Well, uh, I wish I, could, I wish I had a memory, you know because but alas, in, in 1976, I, my flatmate found me um, drowning on my own blood in bed. Um, where I'd bitten through my tongue with the first of the major epileptic seizures I was to have.
0: Oh. Um,
1: so life and so life since 1976 has been a lifetime on uh, epilepsy medication, and one of its major major side effects is to affect your memory. Yeah. So I can remember up to 76. Um, but then afterwards, I mean, if you ask me about my time with Darts in any detail, most of the other guys can tell you, mm. but I can't.
0: Wow. which is
1: very sad, you know, when you consider what it was and the kind of memories that uh, ought to be there. No, and I don't have any. On. So sad, but hey, that's the way it is. It
0: is yes, this is it, and then you know, obviously, you you become a lecturer in Essex Exeter you know, College, and yeah. um, and obviously, trained for that. But when did you find yourself becoming part of the band again?
1: Uh, well, I never stopped, I honestly never stopped. I mean, I all I, in the sense that I was always doing music, um, I moved. Down to the West Country full time at the start of the nineties, but within a few years I had a little a cappella group going down here, um, and uh, these days uh, there's there's a, a twelve thirteen piece soul band that I'm part of, and had the big big boss man in in a musical sense of yes. Um, but, uh, but no, music's never stopped for me until yeah. this year, which is, you know, it's like ha- losing a limb, what's happened to music because of COVID.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: You know, there's nowhere to play. There's you, You're not even, I mean, with 12, 13 of you in a band uh, or nine in dark, even getting together and trying to apply social distancing is just ridiculous. If you went to, if they allowed performing but insisted on social distancing in, on stage, there aren't stages big enough.
0: <laughs> no, you need a small football pitch. Yes, that's tricky. So is it right that you're not in darts now but you're in your other band? Oh no, I'm in darts. You've been dance, but I was just. But the band called is it Metro?
1: Oh, the there's a band called Metrotones. I'm in them as well. Right. Uh, I'm in um, the Soul Traders is is the one down here. Uh, there's an acapella group, very part time, called Slack because <laughs> we we slack is our approach to everything. Um, and uh there's another band called the Sentimentals uh, in fact if you were if if you're um if you've been in the business as long as I have now uh, and you're still working as a musician, you don't work with just one set of people because the gig started drying up if you wanted to work as a musician and and Jimmy the uh, darts piano player was you know he 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 tried to keep this going for as long as he could and he outlasted all of us um he was in nine bands at, by the time he decided he couldn't afford to just live try, trying to be a musician anymore wow he's he's working in nine bands and still not making a living
0: is that Jimmy Compton
1: James Compton yes you're only allowed to call him Jimmy if you're
0: in darts right James, fine, I've got (laughs) you Wow, that's that's um, amazing, actually. And did you? I mean, I know you briefly mentioned it, and I know there's the sort of famous story with the the Bay City Rollers and their sort of manager and the fact that it was massive hits and world tours and very little money for the band. Did you ever sort of sort of work out or find out, like, oh, that's where it all went, and that's why? Damn. Well, we we um,
1: we it was well. How shall I put it? I always felt sorry for the guys who stayed in the band right the way through to it breaking up in 1985 before we put it back together again in in the noughties. Mm. Um, because for the last two years they were operating and they weren't being managed by this guy then. But he he basically legged it with all their money. Um, I, What I heard was he bought himself a hotel for cash in Antigua. And eventually it was flattened by a hurricane. So, you know, there's a kind of sense of natural justice there. Uh, But um, they also, he also didn't pay the VAT they owed. So darts for the last two years they were going back then were... Working to pay the VAT to the to, to the taxman that they'd already paid.
0: Yes, that classic number. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that one. That's um, quite heartbreaking. And
1: it, and it just broke them. you know. That's that's why in the end they they packed it in in eighty five.
0: So when you come back again from that kind of experience, is it the case that you can? start kind of afresh like you know saying right okay that was that and that was him and
1: well you you once you come back into it you bring together bring back with you all the experience you've had in the intervening years yes so um i know horace for instance uh a sax player um he's now the general secretary of the musicians union and doing an amazing job trying to keep music going in this country not just for us but for all musicians and and by that I mean uh, concert orchestras you know this, um the work those guys do is is just fantastic
0: yeah and we're
1: really proud of him
0: yeah it's an amazing legacy isn't it it's an amazing yeah. legacy to, you know but well, you
1: wouldn't have thought it you know back in the day because uh he's not the youngest of us uh, I think he might be the youngest, but one. Um, and when he was 19, you wouldn't have seen that head.
0: <laughs> no, probably not. Probably no. He's never going to. He's never going to get an uh, important, well, uh, official job. But then people well, he, change.
1: He's, he's never going to do anything serious, is what. He thought back then. <laughs>
0: Yeah, someone. Yeah, anyway, it was fantastic. Look, just one last question, which I'm always curious. I mean, if you could have said something to an 18 year old self, you know, that starting out in that interesting world that's had many kind of different cul de sacs and paths and crossroads, I mean, what would you, you know, if you could have said something, you know, that kind of wisdom that you picked up over the decades, I wonder what that would be.
1: Uh, I think I think I can boil it down into one thing. Work with people you like because uh it may it, you know it, it may when you disagree you'll come but you because you like each other, it won't turn into something major. work with people honorable yes Could I be. mean all of those guys are in darts are, are honorable people.
0: Nice. And that's the best thing you can do. Yeah. And that was me in conversation with Dan Hegarty to find out more about life in dance and life in music and just life in general. Anyway, this has been David Eastall. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just go to at C86show. And also all these have been archived um, interview-wise. So you can find those on Spotify, iTunes and Podbean. There you go lots of interviews. This is it, The C86 Show. Have a great week.